Hello, welcome to Foot Guns. It is Wednesday, August 10th. Uh, it's me, Wasabi. I'm joined by uh, Cletus Gen X and Hal 69K, aka 1500 Badger LLC. What's going on, guys? So, so is Boomer like reverse aging <laughs> from, from yeah. Boomer to, to, to Gen X? <laughs> yeah, I just, I just don't want to be associated with that generation. I want, I, I just, I'm very, I'm so hopeful. I saw this great video yesterday. I mean, I'm, I'm not big into like cat videos or feel good stuff and i don't subscribe to like those things on twitter but i saw this great video where this this little league pitcher hit a kid in the head and uh the the pitcher was super upset i mean he didn't mean to and the you know got got walked to first base and he came over and gave the kid a hug and i was just like this generation uh the gen z gets a bad reputation i don't know about millennials but i'm i'm very i'm long gen z big time why didn't you just change your name to Zoomer then? You just have to change I'm, one letter. I'm a, I'm I, I I really do think Gen Z and Gen X have a lot in common. Like we don't have the 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 sort of the you know my parents are silent generation, so uh, we don't have like the boomer prejudices running around our head. Is it because you refuse to use MetaMask? Actually, I think a lot of Zoomers don't use MetaMask. They use like Rainbow. Yeah, well, or- I just. I'll tell you one thing I'm not shocked by in this market environment is that tornado cash didn't work out. Um, I mean, I'll never forget when you first told me about that house, 69 K and I was just like, you're, you're, you're joking. You just put your money in, <laughs> in a crazy machine and no one knows where it goes. It's just crazy. Yeah. Well, you know that it's still, it's still there. So that that's, it's like sort of like, um, Maybe maybe even more permanent than like let's say like the Pirate Bay was towards music. So they're saying, oh, you can't use this thing. So they ban the smart contract, but the smart contract is like forever in the Ethereum chain. And I, I think in this case, um, it's like actually immutable. So uh, or maybe I I don't know if that for certain, but I heard somebody say that. I didn't go and confirm that, but. You know, the implication would be that anyone that wants to can then just keep sending money into this thing, regardless of whether or not the government. I mean, you know, but obviously, like, what are you going to do? Because then you can't then you can't take that money to any exchange um, and get it back into dollars. So it's kind of like, well, criminals can at least like hide which criminals do what. I guess. Yeah, just kind of like I, when you explained it to me, I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" So we got a CPI print today that was not at all bullish. The market is reacting like it is the greatest thing since sliced bread, um, and I think it's just absolutely insane asylum territory. I mean, you've got the uh, I've been banging on the small caps beat for you know the last three hundred points and futures doing real well there, but I just. I mean the 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 it's not. It, I mean, inflation's still really. I mean, it's awful. Like that, just because it just beat consensus by a little bit. I'm 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 pretty shocked by by the price action today. And 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 were, and were you um were you short or were you just no no I've been long small caps for like since forever. And that's a trade that continues to win. So, you know, every time it sort of gets kicked down, I add to it. And, um, um, you know, I mean, I started that position out in like June. And then, of course, I've been, you know, I've been kicked around the Australian dollar pretty hard. And then um, with the bond futures, uh, got kicked around there pretty hard too as well. And then, of course, crude's really, really performing for me today. So, um, but I just, I just, I can't, I just, I can't, uh, this is now inflation. It's like, it, it is, it's beyond here to stay. It's, it's just like, you know, the, the stuff the Fed is doing now is not going to show up for like four quarters. And so what do we do till then? And it's just, it's, it's, it's a, I just, I think we've just, but isn't it kind of. Isn't it kind of like what you were saying where like everyone's just tired and like it's really hard to short and so everyone's just like uh like you know I don't know what else to do I got all this you know I took all this risk off I'm holding I mean unless everyone was still long right like which I don't think they were at the and then you know it's like okay well I don't want to keep shorting anymore cuz that's like obnoxious and 
whatever, let, let's put some longs on because the inflation print is less than it was last month for the first time. Well, I do think you are having some people just getting blown out of trades. I mean, if you look at the commitment of traders report, which for those of you who don't know what that is, it's very much like on chain. It tells you how many, you know, sort of uh, what type of people are long or short futures. And the, you know, CTAs, commodity trading advisor, hedge funds types, uh, doubled down on their shorts as of last Friday. So that they're the most short they'd ever been. And then they added to that uh, as the market continued to go up. And I, I don't know how long, you know, given how levered they are, I don't know how long they can stay in a short trade like this. So I think I, I'm, I'm a big proponent, as I've said a thousand times, both on this podcast and privately to you, how I don't believe in quote unquote short covering rallies. I mean, you don't have to give the money back if you made money on a rally because it was a quote unquote short covering rally. But I think in this case, you may be seeing more violence to the move that is, you know, I mean, how much can these guys, how much pain can they take before they sort of sort of puke it up? And I've talked to a number of people working sort of private wealth management, like to get a gauge of what the, the both the institutional style investor and the retail investors doing. And, um, the uh, PETA, you know, some private wealth management guys I know are like the clients are just clamoring, like, why are you not getting back in this? Right. I mean, they've seen Amazon go up 30 percent off its low. And uh, so, you know, there's nothing good happening at all. But um, trading is trading and you buy things that are going up. You sell things that are going down. And today the market is going up. Do not do not short it today. Um, you know. Yeah, well, isn't you don't isn't you don't you don't buy this this argument that this is like the first downtick? Like people are kind of hoping that it's peaked, and then if you look at like the long term uh, futures, they're betting on the Fed pivot sometime next year. So like this could be seen as confirming that thesis that we have peaks. I'm I'm a little bit surprised. Like you you were kind of calling inflation peak one or two months ago, right? So is your bearish inflation call today just more that you think it's going to be kind of like anemically going down and still stay elevated so that we'll have this long period of inflation or you're, you're kind of short like this quick turnaround of inflation? Yeah. That's yeah, so, getting priced in today. That's exactly right. So I think it's, I think, I think, you know, it's peaked, but peak doesn't mean peak go down, you know, substantially. I don't think, the delta between uh, wage inflation, right? So people, you know, that's up 5%. So inflation's not going to go below 5% until you get pressure on wages and employment. And I think the employment report is pretty easily explained, which is inflation is really digging into uh, people's wallets and they went back and got jobs. I mean, they're having to like, you know, go out and get jobs to deal with the inflation. And um, once again, we are shitting all over the, you know, sort of bottom 40 percent of this this country with the feds, you know, uh, pals. My big criticism, pal, is that he was just, you know, he he's the Fed is supposed to remain an objective body. I don't know whether they can pull this dual mandate off, but they're really supposed to do is prevent inflation. And he was basically responding to all of the former president's tweets who were yelling at him to add more fuel to the fire. And I think you've got a weird paradox today in the, the, the I'll give you another data point today. Um, if I would have told you last night, Wasabi, if I said I got an early copy of the oil supply report and it's going to be one of the largest builds ever with five million barrels being added to the to the market, you would have shorted that, right? Shorted oil there? Yeah, I mean, five million yes. barrel, barrel build, right. So it's up. It's up four dollars off of its low, <laughs> and it's like um, that just goes to show you how kind of crazy markets get around. There was a four million uh, barrel gasoline pull that no one was expecting, and so oil is just sort of a precursor to gasoline. And you've got the Strategic Petroleum Reserve um, uh, additions ending in September. So it just goes to show you that, like, if, even if you had perfect access to information, you know, markets are tricky. And um, so oil, oil took a while to get going, gave you plenty of time to get in the trade. And I'm super long to the point where I feel like I'm going to vomit. And I'm about to get out right around here because I've gotten what I needed. But the, the, um, 
that that data point on gasoline, I think, is important because I think what happened was there were a number of people who, you know, the price of gasoline dropped for something like 40 straight days. And there are a number of people who are not buying gasoline. It dropped and then they consumed it like crazy. I think there are a lot of people who were like, you know, sort of like filling up half tanks or whatever. And then it, then it dropped. And then that's why you see the big draw in, in gasoline. And so that's an interesting data point to me in terms of the, you know, we talked about that early markets climb a wall of worry. What is the biggest worry? The biggest worry is the consumers in bad shape. And um, they're, there's a data point that they're not, they just, you know, people pulled back on their gasoline consumption, but, but when the price dropped, they, they ratcheted it back up again. So um, anyway, sorry to ramble on about energy, but I think it is kind of an important data point that doesn't usually get covered. in um, a lot of trad five podcasts, let alone crypto podcasts. Hal, did you have something? Uh, no, well, I want to go back and uh, talk more about your questions and, Force Boomer to answer some questions about the tornado cash and the USDC thing, and um, speculate about stablecoins a little bit because I, I, you know, I think that's like sort of the if we if we if we were to recap like and think about you know okay what was 2021 this bull market and we had the Wonderland um, Frog Nation thing turn into you know, just like the peak of crypto in general and then, um, you know, blowing up with the Luna fiasco and then, you know, 3AC and all that stuff. Like the thing that was like overarching amongst all of the thing was like all these stable coins, right? Always, always were involved in some way and generally in a bad way, I think. So, um, yeah, the, you know, we had, we had been discussing, I, I've been discussing with other people and, you know, we've been discussing earlier about um, what, what is like USDC's role now in this tornado cash thing? Because the big thing that happened is, you know, they, they flag these wallets as saying, Hey, they use tornado cash and that's bad. And so now we're going to freeze all the USDC that's related to this, um, which is, you know, uh, from a, from a Bitcoiner's perspective, like, well, that's bad because, you know, Bitcoin, you can't freeze Bitcoins, right? You could blacklist Bitcoin wallets, but you can't act, you can't stop them from sending their Bitcoin. Where in this case, like, they can actually stop the USDC from moving. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear your guys. So maybe we should just back up and kind of, like, lay out what happened a little bit um, to make sure that we're all on the same page. So let me see if I can give like a summary. So tornado cash, what is tornado cash? It is a way to basically anonymize your Ethereum transactions. So you put in chunks of like, I don't know what are the, what is like, say you put in a thousand USDC from one wallet and then it allows you to withdraw a thousand USDC from another wallet Um from kind of like this big pool. And so then you have people who are contributing to this pool. And I guess, I don't know, is it like uh, a, a DEX where they're earning some yield off of it? So you could be completely, you know, not a criminal and just de- and depositing your USDC to this pool, but it's allowing people to kind of trade in and out of, of the pool. Um, and so then what happened was the OFAC, which is like the kind of like list of, bad guy sanctioned companies and individuals that's run by the treasury department put not individuals or companies, but a series of Ethereum addresses that are associated with trying cash, basically like any address they could find that had to do with this protocol on a list, a uh, sanction list. And then what that did was uh, obligated every U S person. So that is a company or an individual um, with ties to the U.S. to basically treat these addresses as untouchable. Um, so there are people who were just providing liquidity that could have been, you know, who, I guess today that would be considered a criminal act, but a week ago it would not be considered a criminal act. But at the same time, that money is tied up and now tainted by this by this ban, right? And the, the allegation is that North Koreans or, or whatever bad guys are using this as money laundering tool, which I mean, is pretty obviously true. Like, you know, whenever there's a big hack, you see huge chunks of hacked funds going into tornado cash and coming out. So 
I think that's, you know, pretty well established as a fact. Um, but then what Hal was getting at is that this opens up all these other questions about um, assets in crypto and particularly regarding USDC, because that's a, a major asset that will go into and out of um, Tornado Cash. So Hal, I don't know, like, w w what's your take? Like, were you kind of shocked at the implications for USDC or do you think it's kind of like just a matter of they're going to be able to kind of block these pools and then everyone will move on? I mean, I think if I was, and I don't know, but maybe Boomer has, or Cletus Gen X has a different um, opinion about this, but I think that if I was, you know, U.S. government, I would see this as, oh, wow, I really like USDC. I can freeze accounts, you know, like, you know, similar to like what they did with um, the Russian accounts and stuff like that. Like it has that same power, maybe even multiplied and more targeted. Right. Um, and then if I'm a decentralized maxi person, which I personally am, then I would look at it and go, oh, well, yeah, that that increases the case for Bitcoin, where if you're just holding Bitcoin, um you know, no, no one can manipulate your money. Again, they can they can blacklist you, but they can't actually freeze your account. So then you could, I mean, if you were a good person doing a good thing and, and, a, and a bad entity blacklisted you, you could then still, you know, have economy with some people in the world um, by sending your Bitcoin to them, right, and, and getting services from them or buying goods from them. Yeah, but I think like the the scary thing is this analogy of like imagine a hundred dollar bill, right? You could get a hundred dollar bill from you know an ATM machine, or you could get a twenty dollar bill as change from somewhere, and uh, you know it doesn't matter if that money was in the hands of a criminal or used in a criminal act, you know, ten transactions ago or fifteen transactions ago, right? Because like it could have been laundered and like it's not your fault that you're carrying a bill that in some past time was used incorrectly, right? But like with this with like like asset crypto assets that cannot be blocked like this, they're these basically just like wallet softwares that see, okay, you know, one Bitcoin went from wallet A to wallet B and then wallet B sent half a Bitcoin to wallet C and then wallet C sent a quarter of Bitcoin to wallet D. And you never know, you know, wallet D could be completely unsuspecting, but because it has this tainted funds from, you know, five or six transactions ago, then it could end up on a list and get blocked for, for whatever reason, right? So like with crypto, it kind of opens up all of these questions of like how far down the chain do you go? And for, you know, like in the case of USDC, I was talking to Alex, uh, who's a developer at Badger about like exactly how this works. And like with USDC, it's a literally a function on the contract that can just be turned off. So it's like this wallet can no longer send or receive USDC. Um, and that seems like almost like a cleaner, a cleaner sanction because it just blocks an individual wallet and it's not, it's not, um, you know, it kind of like stops the chain so that asset can't, can't be passed on and be like tainted further down the line. Yeah. I don't care about any of this. I don't think it affects anything. Um, so, so, uh, but I will, I, I do think something's really interesting about, you know, who controls the price of crypto. And I've had a theory for a long time that, um, that the Chipotle dad, the YOLO bucks, the excess capital that you have uh, hanging around in your um, in your in your pocket is sort of what controls the price. And is it a coincidence that um, is it a coincidence at all that that gasoline futures uh, peaked and started going down the exact same day that Ethereum put a bottom in? And if you look at the extra amount of disposable income that is gasoline future, I mean, gasoline prices have come down. The American consumers had $400 million extra per day uh, from the peak of uh, gasoline prices. I mean, do you think that's a coincidence or, I mean, sometimes there's, you know, correlation without causation. Well, yeah, I mean, I wrote, I wrote about it on uh, Tuesday, the little, 
our little private section now in the uh, the Foot Guns uh, newsletter about how yeah you can just like see the, the the thing that was like interesting to me was that in 2021 um, oil uh, the the treasury yields and Bitcoin were all just like rising together and then all of a sudden in 2022 like you can just see this sort of like moment where um, you know, and, and you you can hardly see um, the Ukraine war, right? Like you you really just see oil continuing to go up, like at a, at a high rate, with treasury yields going up, and then Bitcoin just does this like crazy divergence down, and um, you know, I think it's down like twenty percent since uh, January twenty twenty one, while like oil's up eighty three percent and treasury yields are up two hundred and twenty percent or something like that. But then, yeah, there was this moment. Um, right when Bitcoin made a bottom, that treasury yields and um, oil started coming down together. So, and then Bitcoin started going up. Um, you know, not nearly as much as Ethereum. And then I did notice that like GameStop and AMC just came back alive. So I think that's like another sign that maybe uh, the so Chipotle dad is back in the game. Um, but yeah, I, I I do agree that none of these people care about what's going on with tornado cash and um usdc um i i i think the only thing that i've been able to come up that's interesting is that um die the stablecoin dai um which people have hated on because it's backed by usdc it, i think it has like 47 percent backing of usdc but then it has like ethereum and some other things um they, they would you wouldn't be able to have a freeze on a wallet in the same way that USDC can with that. They would have to go and like freeze the entire die backing. And then the other thing that I'll say is that like, we do know that um, specifically that there are bad, bad people. I think it's like they, they estimated 30% of the funds in tornado cash were um, bad people, uh, like, you know, stolen funds basically. And like specifically Sifu moved funds there from when all the wonderland stuff happened. Um, but it's, I, I think these people could, I, I mean, I, I view it the same way as like you're selling into, I mean, when, when you buy Ethereum, right. Um, there's a huge amount of Ethereum owned by a small number of people and they're basically just <laughs> dumping on you, right? Like they're, every time you buy, you're giving them exit liquidity. And that, that's sort of like what tornado cash was functionally in my mind is like exit liquidity for these criminals because, with so many of them being, I mean, even if it was a small amount of them, it's it's just like, you know, it's a way for them. If you're trying to use it for good, you're paying this fee of um, criminality. But at the same time, you know, pe- people are like, oh, well, the U.S. dollar is used for crime, like cash is used for crime. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, I don't really, <laughs> really want to support crypto um, being used for crime as a way to be like, oh, well, like U.S. dollar does it, like crypto should be able to do it too. Um, you know, at the same time, um, I, I think it's going to be something to follow. I think, um, the story is not going to be over, especially because it's a smart contract and, um, like both sides of the story. It's like what happens from the privacy side, the tornado cash side, and what happens from the government side? Like, does the government pursue other, um, uh, other things? Cause you know, for instance, like what, what they could do now is they could just like, Hey, we're going to. Um, blacklist like the Uniswap contract, right? Anyone that's ever used Uniswap, all your funds, if they're in USDC, are frozen, right? Like th- th- that's a a real possibility. I don't, I don't know. Have you like you know if you've used Sushi Swap? I know you like Sushi, Cletus. Like, have, have you? Do you think that's a real thing? Do you think the government would do that? Uh, I I don't know what the that mean the the money laundering folks. I mean, I think it was more interesting recently that there was a crypto. Like I keep I keep saying there are already laws regulating um, uh, things like fraud and wire fraud. And recently there was an enforcement action or a criminal case. I forget which what, what it was, but it was brought in cryptocurrency. And like I've been saying the whole time is that you don't need a separate bill passed in order to regulate cryptocurrency because it still falls under and if you if you still defraud someone you, you're still going to go to jail uh in, in investing that kind of thing so i thought that was interesting but it is something that occurred like two years ago and i'm you know it's, it shows how that the doj takes its sweet time but there's plenty of ways to sort of enforce it this whole 
money laundering angle and, you know, the treasury, uh, freezing assets and all that kind of stuff. It's not something I'm, I mean, I know a huge amount about, um, but I, I just think it's worth repeating that there is an existing framework about fraud and investment fraud that apply that, that, you know, the U S government has applied to crypto and you don't need sort of separate, separate, uh, regulation for it. Well, I do think this is a little bit different in that, as far as I'm aware, no other piece of software uh, has been put on a sanctions list like this. I know there was a time when encryption software was considered under the um, export controls. And there was that guy who like printed the algorithm on a T-shirt and walked through airport security, right? So just kind of like to make a statement that, look, like this is fundamentally a different thing um saying you know you can't sanction a piece of software or technology i'm not saying i agree with that i'm just saying that that's a very prominent view you know a lot of people involved in crypto have that those kind of views and it is fundamentally a different thing in that it's sanctioning on a on a tool a piece of software that does have you know different first courts have looked at that in first amendment different than sanctioning a, a person or an entity. Um, so I do think that this will probably get challenged. I do think it is interesting and, and it's, uh, you know, the only case I can think of where sanctions have been put on code rather than in, in, like a person or, or organization. All right. So let's, let's talk, let's bring it back to trading then. So do you buy torn that, so there's a token T O R N you know, we, we've, you know, famously, I haven't even really, I've been thinking about this a little bit, but I, I haven't gone and even looked at a chart or whatever. So let's just do it here um, without even looking at a chart. Do you, do you go buy this token T-O-R-N, which represents the governance over tornado cash, right? So I think, um, I think Kathy Woods owns a bunch of it. Um, probably a couple other hedge funds or something like that. Uh, is this a is this basically like a buy the hack moment, right? Where the government is the hacker, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know this is just like a value opportunity, or you know, right, um, undervalued or value trap. Like, okay, can you uh, can you trade it for cigarettes at the federal prison commissary? <laughs> that was funny. And I also, would, like, I would not buy, buy it right now. Are you, are, you, are you a criminal, like, right now? I mean, there is this guy, so Bowtie Iguana, who's, like, a kind of crypto privacy wait, account what? that I follow. Bowtie Iguana. Bowtie Iguana. You can't just be, like, Bowtie Iguana or Bowtie Iguana and just be, like, you know, that's, like, a, like you're talking about. <laughs> Bow, what? I thought the whole fucking point of this Bo- podcast Bo- is, that, is that you with a straight face call me Wasabi and I with a straight face call you Cletus Boomer and we all with a straight face, you know, call each other right, by pseudonyms. But a lizard I thought we're taking that tie, seriously. I mean, a lizard and a bow tie just is a lot. It's a lot to, it's a lot to process, but it's fine. Keep, keep going. Sorry to interrupt. Um, no, his take was that it's probably even illegal at this point to visit the Tornado Cash website. So I think owning the token, I would I would not be an owner just as a U.S. person. If I was a you know crypto yeah, well, hot, person hot from take. a different country I, um, and, and not coming back. Just to interrupt really quick, uh, if you go look at the weekly update this morning, not only did I I go to their Twitter account talk about it, and then now we're recording another podcast about it, but I also tried to go to the website, recorded a video of the website not working. So if anyone's afraid to go to the website. Can watch that video of me going to the website and yeah i think i think it's important to delineate sort of what i don't understand the ban that could be imposed here i mean if you're if you're maybe that's like sort of silk road territory and i never really understood what that was but you know just to be clear that sanctions are not a domestic thing they're a foreign thing and so if some piece of code gets banned um like criminalized like a virus or something like that. I can understand that, but um, just want to be precise around the the language that we're using Um, there. I I just, I, I I just think it's incredibly bizarre to me. If you said that 
we're going to get a sign that inflation is incredibly persistent. There's virtually zero chance in the next 12 months we'll see a uh, print below 5% because that's what real wages have risen. And why the, what's magical about Ethereum? Like, why is Ethereum? I mean, that's not exactly the place that I would go my first stop in terms of uh, monetizing that reality. Uh, I could understand Bitcoin perhaps acting as a, you know, non-sovereign currency. Um, well, see, that's the, the craziest thing too, is that um, Bitcoin has just been the, the most lagging thing out there. Right. I mean, I don't know. I don't look at, I don't look at uh, charts of like, you know, soft commodities and copper or whatever like you do, but um, I, I just don't see anything else that's lagging behind worse than Bitcoin right now. Yeah, uh, the the you know copper's sort of mounted a comeback, but I just Ethereum to me is just I, I just don't I don't I if you said you know where do you want to put your money on a infl- an inflationary environment, um, why would you put it in? Isn't ultimately Ethereum like infinitely deflationary or something? I mean, it, it just. It just—I think it goes to show you that Chipotle dads are in control and they have more money because they have—they're spending less money on gasoline. But gasoline features are up five percent today. I also do not understand. I've always been sort of like this whole, you know, price gouging thing that people talk about, and you know, the average margin made per gallon at a uh, your local gas station is fifteen cents. They make their money selling, you know, donuts and coffee and whatever else is in the store. They get you in with the gasoline, but that's not the real profit center. But when you sit there and you look at gasoline futures trading, they're above three dollars for the first time in a week, and it's still sort of four dollars at the pump. It's just like what what the hell's going on? And, and I've got I have to use premiums, so it's like five dollars, and it's and and it does feel a bit weird to me that that's taking place. It feels feels suspicious. I don't know what's up, but. I think the Chipotle dad has gotten his second job and is now, now that paycheck has come through, he has some yellow bucks back to that he's putting in Ethereum. Mm. So that explains the, the, the good employment report and its role in the, uh, in the whole thing. I, I just, I just, again, Ethereum, I don't, I don't really get it, but it is a good, it seems to One. be a good leading indicator for the, the, the willingness of the consumer to just, you know, buy something they don't even know what it is, and it's cheaper than Bitcoin. And so, it's just pure risk. You know, you found your yeah. It's you know, number traditional... two. I, I'm I'm still pissed that we um were so. I mean, that's like one of the rules I think in trading, right? Is you're you're, you're supposed to just trade it, right? Don't um hate it or date it right as they say the but like binance coin bnb like that's that's been like the best crypto trade you could have ever done since we started for cuttings yep. and then even before then and yeah i don't know what's going on there and i mean you, obviously if i was holding it i would probably make it a small percentage of my portfolio because who knows when the rug's gonna get pulled out of that thing but um yeah i don't know it's just it's just going up and i think i think it's the same reason it's just people are like well, Bitcoin's too expensive. Ethereum's too expensive. Binance Coin—that's it. I'm in. I'll get one of those, and they because they don't realize that you can buy part of one. Right. Well, then right. that logically leads us to uh, Shiba Inu. Are you still in that trade, Hal? Yeah, I'm still holding my Shiba Inu. I almost sold it last night, actually, because it was the first time since I bought it that it went into. Um, um, negative profit and i've been like listening to like a hundred different podcasts and stuff about like stop losses and i was like starting to be like oh my god all these uh, you know super hardcore old traders are telling me that i should cut my stops like early and then um it's back up like above what it was yesterday um but yeah anyways uh, yeah i think i'm like plus 11% 11% in profit on it. And it was like minus 1% last night. And I was like, should I, uh, Peter Brandt this thing? Like, you know, just cut it off. And then, uh, the inflation print actually was the best, you know, that, that's the funny part. Um, Cletus is you're like, Oh, um, you know, Ethereum, but like, why, why is Shibu Inu 
you know, everyone's like, oh, inflation print, let's go buy some Shibu Inu. I, I, I have this, like, I have this sort of theory that, um, like, you know, the Bitcoin, the reason Bitcoin is underperforming is that the Bitcoin ledger, right, like, creates this sort of, like, security for all of these crypto traders that are, you know, they're, they're like, oh, well, you know, I'll, uh, my worst case scenario, I can just, like, sell back into Bitcoin, right? And so then, um, you know, I listen to all these people talk about, like, the euro dollars, where it's just this, you know, ledger of people creating dollars out outside the U.S. And so I just think, like, okay, you have these baby Doge, Doge, Shiba Inu, BNB, Ethereum. They're all basically just Bitcoin, but they're just, like, a, a derivative of Bitcoin, right? And And we saw it when the crypto market sold off. Everyone thought, oh, if I hold these 15 different cryptos, I'll be immune, you know, I'm diversified or whatever, but they all did the exact same thing. Right. And they, and they all go up when they, when each other go up and every once in a while you get like a new one where everyone goes, Oh, okay. That's a new one. So like, that's like the expansion of the ledger. So you're, you're creating money out of like thin air basically. Mm -hmm. So that money doesn't actually exist in the, the real world. And we've been talking about that like um, for forever, I think on, on this podcast that, um, you know, when when money goes into crypto, it never comes back out, right? It just it's just this like expansion. So I think you know what we saw for the last uh, and and why I think maybe why when oil was going up and when treasury yields were going up, we finally saw crypto shrink. Is people were like, hey, I need my money to buy oil, and then the Wall Street crowd was like, oh, I should probably get some more bonds or whatever. I, I don't know. You know, that's a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just see I see that like why Bitcoin is lagging behind. And then eventually, um, you know, if Bitcoin lags too far behind, um, all the altcoins and stuff will sell off back into Bitcoin instead of back into dollars. Um, that's just my. Yeah, I mean, if you really have the stomach for it, I mean, we're getting right up to that level. Uh, we just got to the 50 percent retracement right now on ES from the all-time high and boy that's one of those things you look back four days from now and you go why didn't i short that i mean it's such an obvious place to enter into short um it's hard to short something that's going up sort of this much but um i mean i think the the market has clearly gotten away from it disconnected from reality i mean the difference between the cpi print this time and last time was like 0.2 percent i mean it's like nothing and um, if you think inflation is going to be a persistent problem, which I do for a long period of time, then, you know, there's 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 I think you want to get long on the commodity front and then get uh, unless there's a bad recession, if there's like evidence that people cannot afford gasoline, which you got a big uh, slap in the face on that one today with a five million barrel gasoline draw. I don't think I've ever seen one in my career that's that good. And so, um, but if you, uh, if you think uh, inflation persistence, persistent inflation is, um, is, uh, is going to be an, um, an, an issue, then today is a great time to be, you know, enter into a short on the S&P. Um, uh, just thought I'd bring that up because I always find myself being like, you know, gosh, I wish I would have done that or somebody. Well, so well, so if you're, if you were long right now, like in my mind, you would just lighten up. Right. And then, cause you're saying like, we're at the 0.5 Fibonacci. And I talk about this a lot, like on the other side where, when we go down, um, buying between the 0.5 and the 0.618, it's like ideal. So, you assume that the market's, you know, there's the momentum, the market's a little irrational, people take a little bit, you know, uh, the time to digest things, people come in, uh, you know, <laughs> late, whatever. So um, that's why I feel like you you lighten up now, like, so, you know, get flat-ish, and then you short at uh, uh, the 0.618 extension, right? Because otherwise, um, yeah, maybe you miss the short, um, but at least you got flat, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And, and it actually hasn't gotten to the fully to the 50% line and the 50% line, you know, for those of you who maybe listening are like, I don't believe in Fibonacci stuff and I don't either. I just think it works sometimes. And, uh, 
uh, I mean, you know, if you would have gotten long as ES started to sort of show you that it was going to rally, there's a great buy point, whatever the red line is. I don't even know what it is. And then if you bought the blue line, you would have done great. And now you're getting to the brown line. This is a 50% thing. We're not there yet. We're like 10 points off of it. And I think if it closes below, I think it's 42, 42.23 maybe on the, the cash uh, versus not the futures is the halfway point, but halfway 50% fibs have always been sort of powerful to me because they, um, you know, it's halfway back. You're coming halfway back. So if you're going to buy it halfway back, that means you need to think that we're going to go retest the all time highs. And um, if there's a lack of people willing to do that, that can show you sort of weakness in the market. Yeah, I agree on forty-two fifty. That's what I, I mean. That's what the the thing. The only thing that confuses me still is like, well, what is Bitcoin doing? Because like you said, um, ES is halfway back, and Bitcoin's still just like way. I think it has to go up another twenty-five percent or something like that to get half. And also note that Ethereum's yeah, just a couple percentage away from being halfway back. Yeah, and I think I think that uh, that'll be a that the halfway back mark for Ethereum is much more meaningful for Ethereum than the halfway back point is for Bitcoin. I think that that in an inflationary environment, um, you know, you may see. Uh, I think the fact that Bitcoin is is being pretty chill and pretty stable is net. Um, I mean, the thing I like about Bitcoin, to be quite honest with you, is that. It had its opportunity to go to shit. And most of the time when assets have an opportunity and sort of stare into the abyss to go to shit and they don't go to shit, that's a buy signal for me. Now, a lot of people need confirmation. They want to buy it all the time. You know, whatever it is, these old trading rules for the whatever. But when something when something has an opportunity to just absolutely hit the deck and it doesn't, then it's then it's sort of uh, it's definitely a, a long for me, or it's a definitely don't short it. I mean that Bitcoin just had I mean, this summer was the ultimate summer of it. Bitcoin could have just ceased to be a thing. I mean it could have gone down to a thousand bucks. I mean you had the S and P just getting you know absolutely hit. Inflation's high. People are robbing their crypto wallets because the they're no longer yellow bucks. They actually need them to to pay for the increased price of gasoline. And if Bitcoin's not going to go down to a thousand dollars in in that circumstance, then it's not going to go down to a thousand dollars. So you know, it's a great little tradable instrument um, that you know sort of builds off momentum and the vibes of the macro economy. Don't overthink it, and it's fucking take profits. You know, stop with all this holding all the time. Cletus, did you actually short uh, Crocs, or were you just trolling me on Twitter the other day? No, I've been we we've, we've been shorted for a while. Are you still How's in the short? I don't it's know. doing. I'm up. I have I have uh, shares and leaps, and those are doing well. I had some short term options going into earnings that got wrecked, so I'm basically break even on it. I think yeah, it was a good quarter. Are... I think. Yeah. No leaps are leaps are intense. No, I'm totally joking with you about shorting uh, Crocs. I would I, I, don't, I don't have any opinion on, on Crocs. My only point it's is a, it's a uh, it's rallying with Ethereum. Yeah, <laughs> it's, they have some overlap, and you know the use case for Ethereum may be people who own Crocs. If that maybe sense. maybe can we can can you figure out Wasabi how we can make like some foot guns buttons for people to put in their Crocs? Maybe like. We oh, can, don't worry. I've already looked into it. I've already looked okay, into it. Okay, great. But here's one thing. I think that's like, yeah, ideal, ideal situation. This is one thing I've noticed about my trading, though, is like, I, I think I'm like over talking about trades that I'm in. Like, I feel like it fucks up my perception because then you get into Crocs. Like, I was thinking maybe I'm, too, you know, before earnings, I was like, maybe I should lighten up on the option side. And I had that little voice on my shoulder, so I'm I'm still holding my shares in longer term uh, options. But but I was like, eh, maybe this quarter, you know, maybe they're gonna cut guy. Like I I had that spidey sense, but I was holding because I had had you know like I don't know. I just felt like I got wrapped in into it, and like you were saying earlier, like becoming 
what did you say, like becoming a cheerleader or like becoming a, um, dating it. I was dating it. And that was, that was a mistake. No, I'm fully willing to hate on the theorem and miss out on profits. I mean, look, it's, it's, it, you know, people were hyping it at 4,000. It's a long way from 4,000 and it's been a better, it's been much better thing to short on occasion than it has to be long. And yes, if you had the courage to go in at, you know, it's most recent low and, and go and sort of do that whole thing. Great. If it really breaks out, maybe I'll take a look at it. But um, I have no problem. I missed out on a lot of the S&P rally in 2021 because I thought it was all fucking bullshit. And I refused to buy it. And a trend trader would have been long it. But, you know, I had plenty of to do with commodities and commodities outperform the S&P anyway. But um, I have no problem. I'm, I'm fine with hating and dating. I, I'm I'm fine. I don't care when I miss out on something that I hate. Um, the, the you know the the in the spectrum of bad feelings about trading, the worst feeling is being right and still losing money. And how do you in, term, in terms of just like not participating in the Ethereum rally? I'm I'm fine with that because there's a decent chance that it falls apart again, and I don't want to feel dumb when it does. How do you feel about Baby Doge? I mean, I'm. I think that those type type trades are attacks on poor people. Uh, I mean, you're basically, you know, lottery tickets, uh, that kind of thing. I'm against lotteries for that reason. Um, yeah, I know. I think it's interesting that the government is focused on tornado cash and has no stance on Dogecoin. You know, like you know, they they went after Elon Musk for. Um, whatever his manipulating Tesla stock or whatever, which, uh, you know, I think a lot of retail people buy that as well, but never a word about him manipulating Dogecoin. Yeah, no, I, I think that that, I mean, to, in order to do that, in order to sort of prove that somebody was sort of, um, I mean, he'd have to own a lot of it. Uh, and um, uh, generally stating your opinion about, about the future price of assets uh, is just that it's an opinion. Um, it is funny though, that people give financial advice all the time and they're like not financial advice. And we've joked about that many times on the, at least the private podcast where, you know, it can't be like, you know, shoot somebody in the head and be like, not a murder, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, okay. So we're, we're past the 45 minute mark. Most people have signed off by now. Um, one of the things about the tornado cash that, we didn't talk about was that someone, my guess would be like Sifu or, or some other criminal or something, um, sent a point one Ethereum to like all these famous addresses um, after the ban was put in. And so, you know, you can't, you can't theoretically, like if you're those address, you can't say like, Oh, well I didn't do it. Right. Because it's sort of like how tornado cash works. <laughs> it's like, well, you also could have done it. Right. Um, so you can never prove that you didn't do it. Uh, but anyways, like Bankless got sent uh, 0.1 Ethereum. So do you think that they are like they were money launders and they were just using this as a way to to get their Ethereum out, or or do you think it was uh, it was just an accident? Um, whatever Bankless um, uh, whatever Bankless is doing is criminal um, because they just say the same thing over and over and over. I mean, I think that that. That those guys are true religious. I mean, talk about. I mean, there's, yeah. Don't date it. Don't hate it. But also, don't become a member of its cult. Like, like, like Tesla is a cult, and um, Bankless and their Ethereum stuff is a cult. Like, I, I just. Yeah, and so then, so you know, like Ethereum is about to. I think it's going to happen like soon. Ethereum is about to switch to proof of stake, and um, if we learn anything from when Ethereum got hacked and they released Ethereum Classic, um, is uh, it, there's this sort of theory, and I think some people are now confirming that it's going to happen, is that there's going to be three chains. There's going to be an Ethereum proof-of-work chain that keeps going. There's going to be an Ethereum proof-of-work chain where they get rid of the um, uh, difficulty bomb. Remember I explained the difficulty bomb to you, uh, Cletus, where it's just this thing that's... You know, you have to push it's, back. It's, for in, my, it's in, my pants. in my pants. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then, uh, so then there's going to be the new proof of stake chain, and everyone, you know, obviously, uh, the way it went in the past, 
everyone's going to move over to the proof of stake chain. But then what happened um, was those those two other chains were like highly undervalued. Um, I think uh, I was just listening to the Unchained podcast, and there was a guy who tried to buy some at like point one cent or something like that. Um, and you know, Ethereum Classic is now trading at like a hundred bucks or something like that. So um, yeah. If you hate it, I, I think that if you hate Ethereum, this is a good trade for you, which is you should go buy um, this these two fork chains, uh, you know, sort of in the face of bankless. <laughs> well, you can get it for free, right? Like, isn't the trade that you do, a, you get long and short, you get long on-chain ETH and you short futures and then... You, you at the merge, you should get these ones for free, right? Like you're in this Delta neutral, but you're getting the, the airdrops of the fork. Yeah, maybe I should put this. Maybe I should put this trade on. Um, let's see how it goes, just for the the sake the sake of putting it on. Um, I mean, I only own like one Ethereum. I've <laughs> I've no I'm I'm honestly I've just never been a big fan of it. I only buy it when it's going up really, but um it's still not going up enough. I I, I, I wrote um an article like two weeks ago saying like yeah I'll buy it when it breaks out versus Bitcoin, which it hasn't yet. But it, it looks like it might. I don't know, we'll see. Um but yeah, anyways, I I'm I'm still uh, I'm still more of a fan of the Matic trade. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, energy is about to close. Um, thank you for joining us on uh, the Footguns uh, podcast. And um, let's everybody's got anything. Else. Uh, let's just uh, round the horn. Um, year in uh, S and P. Where 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 are we at in the S and P by the year's end? I'm I'm going with Tom Lee five five. Really, really. I mean, I, no. I, I, I mean, sort of not really, but like, I think I, I, I could see it happening. Yeah, I, I could. I think I think it could like stall out at forty five hundred, and then, but but I don't know because there's like the um, what are they called? Those like relative year over year effects or whatever. I don't know. There's a name for it, but basically, you know, you get this inflation print, but then all of a sudden, like, when was the worst? When was the first inflation print? Wasn't it like at the end of the year last year? So you all of a sudden you go, oh well, now inflation year over year is like not that bad anymore. When it really is still high, right? But it's just like compared to last year where it started to go really high, now it's like low. So I could see, I could see there being like a rally into the end of the year. Like, I think that may happen, but we go much lower first. I mean, I think that it's uh, it's a it's a sort of do we retest the. 3650 level which you know i brought up in a main podcast and it happened in june i thought i was gonna be there by december uh you know do we retest that level i'm, I'm not really sure but i would i would bet on somewhere around here i've actually been a big tom we fan he and i were both super bullish during the fiscal cliff you know buying the s&p at 1300 and people are like oh it's going to a thousand we were like nah and so I've I've been a big fan of his, but I just think he he's you know he's overdue being wrong a little bit. I mean the guy's been bullish, um, perma bull. He's sort of like the flip side of the trade of what the Nuro Rubini guy, who's like you know predicted nineteen out of the last two recessions. <laughs> um, but I, I do think those guys are are likely to be off. There's a lot going on. Um, we are not we have not fully i think priced in including persistent and annoying uh inflation and i kept being obsessed last summer and one of the reasons why i was just like tech sucks venture capital sucks and all that is that is it you know good news was bad i mean you know the last year last summer is just so obvious i do think this a more meaningful thing to do is to say do you think it's going to be a good trading environment or a bad trading environment? Because it's less it's less that I care where the S&P crosses for the year. Is it going to be a good trading environment or a bad trading environment? Like I was just saying in, in like May, I've never seen in my entire career more juicy setups and trades than I had over the last 12 months. I mean, you had oil, uh, 70 to 100 was easy. Um, natural gas, easy. Um, S&P short to beginning of the year incredibly easy 
Um, and I think that we're going to, it's just, you know, as far as the trading environment, it's going to be much more difficult um, from now until the end of the year. I think it's going to be much more difficult to look at, say, oil and say, you know, it's right now trading 92.35 on the front month for WTI and, you know, the 97 range, now almost 98 on Brent. And be like, well, you know, you just get along this until 120 or something like that. I, I think it's going to be much more difficult. And um, the good stuff, the easy stuff that I think that has been present since sort of March 2020, the easy trades. Bitcoin got cut in half, buy it and sell it when it goes back up to a previous high. Same with Ethereum, all that kind of stuff. I think that gets harder. I think it's going to be a, a hard next four months. How about that? Yeah, so basically sideways. <laughs> I think there could be substantial moves. I just think that I think that if you stay in anything for too long, you're going to get burned. Well, yeah, I mean, if like you... from a let's call it like a hodler's perspective. Like, so if you if you buy Bitcoin right now, thinking you know, oh, I caught the bottom. Well, expect to hold on to that for a long time before you get any. Yeah, that that yeah, it's going to be. But I think it's in the contrast to like what I would consider a good trading environment. Where you get, you know, uh, Bitcoin just stays between twenty and let's call it twenty and twenty-five thousand, and you can just sort of repeat that trade over and over again, but only play it from one side. Do not try to short it at the absolute high, you know, its little range, and then try to get long it. You'll get lost. So, um, you know, go long, flat, long, flat, long, flat, or whatever. I just think those are going to be harder for the next four months. It's just going to be hard. It's got harder to be a trader. That's all. We're out of the. We're out of the sort of reflationary reopening trade in COVID. We're out of also something that looked like it was going to be really bad. It didn't happen. And inflation remains persistently stubbornly high in a way that I'm not sure the Fed can do anything about in the near term. A lot of cross currents, a lot of cross currents coming at you, you know? See, I don't see how we got it. Well, I don't see how we get to 500 S&P without going much lower sharply, and then there's some kind of a Fed pivot. Well, so like I think the only the only way we go much higher is by spiking lower, and then the spigot gets turned back on. Yeah, the only thing I don't like about that is that I think that I think you may be right. I'm not saying you're not right, Wasabi. I think it's good analysis. It's just. In 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 my experience in in trading, um, the market is seldom that sort of cute. In other words, um, you know, if you if you think five thousand by the year end on S and P and you have a lot of conviction behind it, buy it today. Uh, don't wait for some kind of you know cool pullback. Waiting on a pullback has cost me more money than probably any other thing in trading. And um, I think any time. You know, predicting the future is nearly impossible, right? And so if your future prediction involves multiple steps, it's going to even, it's, it's the more complicated a, a strategy, the more complicated the return is going to look like, right? So um, I would just caution people to be sort of a little bit more uh, straightforward. If we do get to 5,000 on the S&P, um, then I've got news for you. You can buy at the all-time high and, and be, you know, lever the shit out of that thing and get the last 200 points. Four times leverage on the last 200 points and when when it's a lot more certain of a trade, when you beat the double top and you've done all that kind of stuff, four times leverage on that trade is much safer than sort of playing around here and playing guesswork or waiting for a pullback or, you know, doing whatever, just specifically when it comes to the sort of the S and P and, and, um, you know, I just, that, that's cost me more money in my life than, you know, so we have a saying at our shop that it's impossible to f- predict the future. It's, it is possible to react to the present. So we're reactive traders, all these, you know, podcasts and gurus or whatever, like you got to have a plan you have to do all this stuff or whatever. And, we're kind of the opposite way around. Like we want to see something happen. It's more dangerous. Uh, we want to see something happen uh, and then we'll, we'll get involved as opposed to, um, you know, gun to our head, uh, you know, absolutely have to, you know, 
put money to work. I mean, it's our own capital. So we don't have to be traders. And that's the thing. That yeah. So, do. so yeah. I'll just, so, so the, the, the signals that, you know, I discovered this guy like two and a half years ago or whatever. I'm chilling in his discord. Still doesn't, still doesn't seem to want to talk to me about foot guns. I, I, I don't know. He's very into his own thing, but he has these indicators that we've been using. He goes by Wyckoff mode on TradingView. You can look him up yourself. You can join our Discord, talk about him. But um, so if you if you use his indicators on the monthly on the Nasdaq, um, the the buy signal that you're getting right here is the same buy signal you got on March 9th, 2009. And if you had held on to that, you know, until um, what is it, uh, January 1st, 2020. You would have gotten a nine hundred percent return, right? So hell, if, uh, if you would have held on it for six months, you would have doubled your money or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I don't know, but but at the same time, if you go look, um, you know, there's not very many um, of the signals. So is this one? You know, it, the, the way like signal analysis works is. Um, you need to you need to measure how often you get a false signal, right? And it's and, right. and this is a signal on the monthly chart, so it's a really rare signal. So you don't know like, am I getting a rare signal that is going to be profound, or am I getting a you know a false positive basically? Um, so in my mind, you buy the false positive with a short you know a short in your time frame and look for. I mean, yeah, and be like, yeah, I might get out of this earlier than I thought, but I'll have plenty of time to get back into it if it's not a false positive, right? Yeah, that, and also the, um, uh, yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a great point. Um, that's a that's a great point about about you know the number of false positives. That's why I don't like the relative strength indicators that things can remain overbought or oversold for such a ridiculous time that it's. Like I don't, I'm not, you know, it's meaningful at, at some point. Yeah. So, so like what this do, what this do, I mean, and it's sort of, I mean, he's made it open source of some of these things. Um, I think part of the code is still proprietary or something, but what he's basically trying to do is look like when the, when the buying volume has come in, in such a way where relative strength is like overwhelmed basically. So you're like, Okay, there was this there was this relative strength of us moving down, but all of a sudden, based on the relative strength, based on the shorter time frames compared to the longer time frames, compared to the volume, we're now getting this like short time frame move up that has like a whole lot of volume compared to the relative strength of the move down. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. We're we're at a place that where a lot of people who are in charge of them, the money are like me and they saw 0809 and there were, were vibes earlier this summer that 0809. But the thing is, is that there's all these new market participants who don't remember 0809 and think that, Oh, 0809 was a great time to buy. No, no one really started to buy that market until like 2012. I remember we got that huge boost to the economy by uh, falling energy prices in 2014 that lasted through, you know, 2016. I mean, oil is $45 a barrel. Gasoline was really cheap at the pump. Natural gas never went above $3 for like a decade. And that's in, you know, 80% of food costs. So I think that um, um, the uh, uh, my big question, the big fundamental question, uh, not a big fundamental trader guy, but have we pushed so much money into the system and created so much money that inflation is a side effect, but we're essentially entering a new roaring twenties and you basically can't stop. All yeah. This. Or that's kind of what, that's kind of what I've been thinking about. Yeah. Or are we starting to see, um, are, are we starting to see the we Cause we are, we're starting to see, you know, mortgage delinquencies tick up, credit card payments tick up. Um, the uh are we starting to see that you know thing that we've all seen before that's sort of the leading edge of something that's just a fairly vanilla thing which is just a recession that lasts for a pretty long time and things are pretty gross and i don't know if you'll ever sort of get that answer but i do know that if things get carried away to the upside being you know you grab on with both hands that's been a lesson of equities you know, equities were up 10% in July, but it was 7% of the last three days of July. 
So if you see something happening, grab on with both hands and don't don't ask a whole lot of questions. But that that is the real fundamental question is had had was there so much money pushed out in these COVID, COVID stimulus bills? You can't put the genie back in a bottle and sort of the normal rules don't apply. Um, or are we just, you know, watching mortgage delinquencies tick up and credit card delinquencies tick up and, and everyone's kidding themselves. And the next thing we'll see is weakness in unemployment and we're going into recession. Don't know. Yeah. For, for me, you got to watch, um, 4250 on the S&P and 14 basically 14,000 on Nasdaq because um I mean the just the way the the so that's the 20 this is about the 20 week I mean sorry 20 month moving averages um and the the way the Nasdaq is set up is if that thing acts as resistance then like yeah I I, I would think that you're going to come all the way back down and retest the lows um, but if it acts as support, then, you know, you know, get get long as quick as you can, though. The one thing that I would say is that um, what I have noticed about this buy signal is that you have plenty of time to enter. So, um, you know, there's even a chance that we see this thing go to 14,000 on the Nasdaq and come back down to 20 or like 13,000 or something like that, um, which would be that moment where... <laughs> Uh, then the market really has to decide, okay, are we going back up? So, and, and then that's a hard, um, you know, that's where you have, to, that's a hard trade. I think, I think, I think if we go to 14,000 on the NASDAQ and then we come back down to 13, um, buying or selling at that moment is going to be really hard to, to decide. Absolutely. Well, um, guys, thanks for your, thanks for your time and thanks for, um, joining us on uh, foot guns and we'll be back uh, later this week. We'll do it all over again.